Today's episode of Line 1, Your Health Connection, was pre-recorded. We will not be taking phone calls or emails during the show. Good morning, Alaska, and welcome to Line 1, Your Health Connection on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Prentice Pemberton. On the August 16th episode of Line One, technology addiction specialist Jennifer Gessert joined us to discuss the U.S. Surgeon General's advisory about the effects of social media has on youth mental health. In the report, Dr. Murthy stated, in part, children are exposed to harmful content on social media ranging from violent and sexual content to bullying and harassment. We are in the middle of a national youth mental health crisis, and I am concerned that social media is an important driver of that crisis, one that we must urgently address. On today's edition of Line One, Anchorage therapist Jennifer Gessert is joining us again to take a deeper dive into teens, technology, and the consequences and treatment of tech addiction. Unlike our previous show, today's program is a pre-recorded episode of Line One, so we will not be able to accept phone calls. All right, Jennifer, um, it's just you and I today, so... We will uh, kind of going to take this as an opportunity to kind of pick your brain with many of my own own questions. So hopefully everyone uh, listens to every episode of Line One, and either live or by listening to the podcast, which you can find by searching your line, your favorite podcast uh, site with Line One Podcast. Um, but just in case anyone missed August sixteenth, let's start off with a quick word, I guess, about yourself, your specialties, and what kind of led you into this path. I mean, people can listen to it on the other one. So just a briefer kind of, who are you and how'd you get here? Sure, yeah. Um, I am a licensed professional counselor and a chemical dependency counselor here in Anchorage. I have a private practice called White Wave Counseling. And myself and two other clinicians um, are here to provide mental health support for all kinds of folks. We see kids, teens, couples, individual adults. Um, and one of my specialties among several is digital addiction issues. Um, it's not in the DSM the right. at the moment. <laughs> so it's not officially, um, you know, um, something that you can have on your, on your medical chart, but it is uh, certainly anecdotally an issue that people are dealing with. So it's one of the things I help individuals and families um, navigate. Um, I've been doing this for, I've been in private practice since 2019, and then I've been in the field since 2009. Um, Prior to that, I had another lifetime as a backcountry guide throughout Alaska um, and a wilderness ranger for the Forest Service. So sort of my time with people um, in settings where they could reflect led me to the mental health field. So that's a whole other episode. <laughs> right. There's lots of stuff there. It sounds like you've done a lot of, a lot of cool things. Um, yeah, so I want to, uh, the first program, we kind of didn't really get a chance to get too much into like the teens and what parents can actually do um, if they're struggling with, with this issue. And we'll get into more. I'm glad you're, uh, you have an addiction background from the chemical side because we're going to talk a little bit what what that addictive process is um, mm-hmm. and what it is not and yeah, a, a lot of stuff about um, yeah why our brains do what they do so we're gonna we'll get into that but um, I guess right now I just want to I you know I was looking back 
we're going to take a chance, like just real briefly again, for people who didn't listen, for you to go ahead and kind of so what was the Surgeon General's warning as far as mental health and youth? Just sort of give people a quick down and dirty on that one. Yeah, so um, I believe it was May is when it came out. Uh, it was a warning um, about social media use and youth mental health. Um, that is a very slender sector of the problem. <laughs> and I think it's his effort to identify something, some low-hanging fruit as far as um, motivating some increased attention towards the issue in general, which would rely on research um, and getting more peer-reviewed research that can be used to understand what's happening there because we're seeing it. We're seeing the problems and the results of heavy social media use in our youth and all age groups, but also um, we need good peer-reviewed information upon which to base policy change. So, can't just make policy change on anecdotal evidence, right? I I know if we could, I think we'd be there. But <laughs> um, we do have research, but um, as I did say in the previous episode, m much of that is internal from the large tech companies, right. and that's not necessarily peer-reviewed, although they're using it to improve their algorithms, and that's working great. So they do have reasonably good information. It's tobacco company re mm -hmm. research. Mm -hmm. Very similar, right? So um, I think the effort was to illuminate awareness around the severity of the issue to motivate some more research and more um, potential policy interventions. Yeah, that will be an interesting conversation because the genie is way out of the bag or mm -hmm. out of the bottle, Indeed. I guess. Um, mm -hmm. So today I'm kind of, I'm like, we're taped, so I'm going to have the free reign to not worry about phone calls or emails. So I get to ask my questions and I'll, I'll be basing these off of like 30 plus years of working with teens, which is hard to imagine. Um, but I'm also asking these as a parent of three teenage girls who are right in the middle of this, who grew up with this. Um, and it's a topic I've addressed almost yearly in some form or another. In fact, I was looking back on my archives in the first show, I did Parenting the Modern Teen, Smartphones, the Internet, and Social Media on November 25th, 2013. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> well, you were getting in early, weren't you? Well, because <laughs> Noticing I, it because was an I issue. saw it in my office yeah. all the time, right? Yeah. And some people in my own family like had some problems transitioning to college and really didn't mm -hmm. ever make that because of gaming. Mm -hmm. The only thing that you you could call it was addiction, yeah. Um, because it was it took him away from every other part of his life and um, isolated him and really became difficult. And I saw that over again in my over and over again in my office. And that was 2013. Was only a couple years after the iPad came out. Totally. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll talk more about that and how that was a game changer. But um, yeah, so this this has happened really quickly. Um, and, you know, the Surgeon General's warning is great, but I'm thinking <laughs> we've been yelling about this for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So let's uh, let's talk about tech addiction for mm -hmm. people who like say, well, that's not a thing um, because it can't be a thing because it's not a chemical. It's not, you know, any sort of uh, it's a behavioral like gambling. Right. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about what the with your background in chemical dependency, like what is the mechanism that happens in the brain for something to switch over from just problematic or 
you know, stuff we got to change to addictive processes. Like, w- what's happening there? Is it really the chemicals or is it the brain's response? Right. The great questions. And I, I mean, I, f- I struggle with the word addiction right. sometimes or addict because I do think, I mean, that's not in the DSM either. Not that the DSM is necessarily perfect at all. There's it's for some billing purposes. Very questionable. <laughs> that's also a whole other show. Very questionable um, previous diagnoses in the DSM that are no longer in there, thank goodness. Yes. Um, but um, so it's it's flawed even, you know, regardless. But um, addiction um, to me is an unhealthy relationship with a substance or a behavior that causes imbalance in other areas of your life. Um, right now, the only non-substance uh, addiction or or you know substance use or behavioral addiction that's in the DSM is gambling but we know that there are many others including sex shopping eating um, you know and gaming gaming is actually identified as an area for further study in the DSM mm-hmm. and obviously social media and digital use of all kinds there are inpatient treatment facilities for this. There are outpatient treatment facilities for this. There are training programs for therapists for this. So this is certainly a thing um, that people are having trouble balancing in their lives. So why do they have trouble balancing it? That's complicated. Um, why, you know, the chemistry of what happens with each substance when we're talking about substance use is unique. But Generally speaking, there's a chemical process that happens where the body adapts to that substance. And in cases with behavioral health, um, behavioral issues and addiction, um, the chemicals that we are adapting to physiologically are happening organically from our own dopamine. Right. It's the, it's a dopamine pump with it behavioral is. addictions, with sick, sex, gambling. Yes. All those sorts of shopping thing. It's that flood of a flood of dopamine of chemicals. Mm-hmm. And so to accommodate that flood, whether it's from a, a you know alcohol or a drug or behavior, we adapt neurologically to those that flooding of, of that substance. Um, and in this case, with social media, it's dopamine. And those those adaptions um, are, are identical that are happening with social media to that of other substances. Right. And the brain's yeah. response looks the same. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then our, you know, how it manifests and how it feels in our life is the same, where our relationships are stressed or under under nurtured, our hobbies go to the wayside. Our self-care goes to the wayside. We have trouble functioning in school or work. Um, You know, those are all traits of addiction of all kinds. Yeah, I think about these behavioral addictions and, you know, sex addiction and uh, is one that has really exploded with the internet, right? Mm -hmm. And the fact that you can zero in on the one thing that activates all those pleasure centers and gaming's the same way and you can just do it over and over and over right and then that actually it's quite adaptive to have a dopamine hit for something that feels good and it's it's exciting but to do it over and over and over and over all day yeah creates the problem it's limitless which is 
<laughs> limitlessness is unnatural. There is no satiation point. Yeah, that, there, everything in nature has a limit to some point. Anything you can consume, anything that you can experience, there's an end. Uh-huh. <laughs> Including economic growth. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and population growth. Except for scrolling. Right. Except for scrolling. That's the only thing you can do endlessly forever. Yep. All right. Um, yeah, so we've gone a little bit over what the the brain does and that chemical response and that like that's what these kids at a really vulnerable time. Um, can you talk about the brain, teenage brain and how it's wired for addiction, how it's more vulnerable to addiction than adult brains, which is why early onset of all these chemicals, 13, 14, 15, is an incredible predictor of future problems. Indeed, yeah. So uh, there's a lot of predictors of, of addiction. Um one is, of course, if your parents are addicts. Family think, history. Yeah. yeah, you're about eight times more likely to struggle with addiction if your parents have. We don't know how much of that is genetic uh, versus, you know, just experiential being around it. Right. sometimes... Learn behavior. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's a nature-nurture kind of question, but there, it does certainly predispose um, the children of addicts to, to head the same way. But in the formative years, and all of childhood qualifies, um, the, you know, those, those neurological changes that we mentioned are happening to adults and kids. But the difference with kids is that their brain is also growing and developing and forming still. And that happens all the way till age 25. Forming their thinking habits, their patterns of behavior, their and yeah, and resiliency, you know, more all sorts of way. You know, you're set, you're laying the foundation and creating the blueprint upon which the rest of development is is reliant. So if you're setting it up with a predisposition for addiction by having an addiction early on in life and and this, you know, this is clearly would be an issue. We wouldn't even question it if it was alcohol. Like we wouldn't right. give our kids alcohol. Um, and obviously that would predispose them earlier to having issues with it. Same with this. Um, because they're already experiencing the neurological changes that are affiliated with addiction during their formative years, they're far more likely to continue that type of behavior in adulthood. It's how they develop their responses to stress, to anxiety, to depression, um, and those things are very dissociative and can take you away for hours and hours and hours. But that leads to perfectly into my my next question, which is I have in my office like weekly, multiple times weekly, these fights over over the internet, and I have a lot of parents who are worried, really worried about their kids because there's a as you said, a big family history of addiction. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just, I mean, I get this with marijuana and alcohol and, you know, parents, but also with the gaming stuff, they're worried. Um, so is there, you know, you hear this term addictive personality and we're talking about genetics and, and exposure. So are there kids, is there such a thing as an addictive personality? Um, and is there evidence that supports the idea that, that, certain kids can be identified as at risk before this behavior begins. Yeah, um, this is who this is so much to. It's a lot. <laughs> but I told you I had you here by myself. I could yeah, ask. <laughs> yeah, here we go. So um, I think, you know, we're hitting on it just a moment ago where 
another of the predisposition issues is not only the, the neurological component, but the behavioral um, pattern of seeking something outside of yourself to feel differently or to dissociate from how you feel. Uh-huh. So that pattern, whether it's a game or food or a substance, getting in the habit of self-soothing or dealing with life or not dealing with life through external sort of grasping is a is a habit that can proliferate into bigger problems later in life. So as a child, if you're not walked through self-soothing, how to cope with boredom, how to with your internal resources, then you're setting it up to to believe that you always need something outside of yourself to deal. And something that feels pleasurable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Because if it didn't feel pleasurable, we wouldn't do it. And a lot of times, even with with teens or adults that I work with who do uh, divest from social media, they find out that they're the real things come to the surface, the real things that they really need to pay attention to, whether they're having whether they have a learning disability that hasn't been identified because every time something gets frustrating, they just Go to their devices, you know, or or maybe ADD or something like that that has gone undiagnosed or just other other issues that come to the surface where it's like, oh, you were numbing yourself and distracting yourself from what we could have been helping you with by using devices. But but we we didn't know because you didn't know. Right. right? And the problem with numbing is you can't selectively numb Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. certain feelings, just the bad ones. You numb out the good ones, too. Yeah. Um, The ADD kid is a great question because I've had parents say, oh, he doesn't have ADD because he can sit on his iPad for four (laughs) hours. And I'm like, hmm. (laughs) Join the club. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's hyper focus, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if we're talking about addiction, we're talking about, um, well, we're kind of, I guess we're up at our first break. I'm kind of getting lost in this new format. Uh, I don't think I've done a recorded show ever, but we're at uh, we're at our first break, so we'll go ahead and take that. For those of you who might be tuning in late, Anchorage therapist and technology addiction specialist, specialist Jennifer Gessert is joining us for a second time to take a closer look at teens, technology, and mental health. A quick program, programming reminder, today's episode of Line One is pre-recorded. We will not be accepting phone calls. After a short break, we'll return for more of our conversation with Jennifer Gessert. I'm Prentice Pemberton. And you're listening to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. You're listening to Line One from Alaska Public Media. You can find Line One on alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Quality child care creates futures for families, children, and the state's economy. When children are safe, engaged, and learning, parents can work and everyone has a better outcome. Thread has resources to support your family in their childcare search. Knowing what to look for in a licensed facility is important for the safety of your children. Thread also offers parenting resources and support. To learn more about quality childcare in Alaska, visit threadalaska.org. This message sponsored by Thread.
Today's episode of Line One, Your Health Connection, was pre-recorded. We will not be taking phone calls or emails during the show. Oh, welcome back to Line One, Your Health Connection on Alaska Public Media. I am your host, Prentice Pemberton. For those of you who might be tuning in late, Anchorage therapist and t- technology addiction specialist Jennifer Gessert is joining us for a second time to take a look at teens, technology, and mental health. Uh, as a quick programming reminder, today's episode of Line One is pre-recorded, and we will not be able to accept phone calls. All right. So before we were talking about early exposure, addiction, um, uh, Jennifer or Jessica Leahy wrote a great book called The Addiction Inoculation, which mm-hmm. I've interviewed her about, which is all of this sort of stuff, which mm-hmm. is really good about how to protect your kids and insulate them, and talk to them early and set them up for success. But if we're talking about um, certain kids who might be vulnerable to addiction based on family history, is there evidence, and this has always been sort of my, you know, experience of it, but there's a lot of different reasons, but is there evidence that supports the idea that gaming or these social media apps from early childhood can actually be considered that gateway drug Mm, that is starting to activate those addictive processes and that dopamine pump, like pleasure seeking (laughs) dissociative sort of behavior. Is there evidence or is that just me saying, well, that makes sense? Both. Yeah. (laughs) It's both of those things. And it makes sense for a reason. Um, You know, like I was talking about those, both of those, the behavioral component, the pattern of, you know, sort of grasping for external things to improve your internal you know, sensations and experience and the physiological changes that happen. You know, the physiological part, even with adults, anybody with substances, when a person, um, let's say somebody sobers up, they stop using their drug of choice. Um, with behavioral addictions, you usually don't stop because you can't usually stop eating you and stop eat. shopping, right? You got to use the internet now. <laughs> right. So so with substances, we have we have really clear data and imaging of, about the brain changes that happen with addiction and the adaptions that are made for to accommodate large quantities of a particular substance. When a person sobers up, the brain changes can reverse, certainly, but it is far more flexible to go back. So if a person relapses, Mm -hmm. um, those physiological changes are much more highly available than someone who had never used before. So that reversibility of it is the concern with getting kids set up this way very early Uh because it sort of paves the path for that to be a very easy uh, direction to go in throughout life. That's an interesting way to think about it. Which is funny because my next question is, like, if there is support for this idea that we can identify, oh, little Johnny at five years old is at risk for addictive behavior and... You know, I mean, I know ADD kids have a much higher risk mm-hmm. um, for addiction problems. So there's some mm-hmm. evidence there. But the parents that I've worked with who have who really have like gotten into this addiction sort of mindset early and put it on their kids at an early age. I mean, should we identify those kids really? Should we treat them as addicts at, you know, or potential addiction problems when they're 10? Well, what's what's wrong with that? What if we treated every 10-year-old like they might be an addict? I guess if we saw somebody who was pre-diabetic, we would... Do you know how you prevent diabetes? 
You act like you're diabetic. Right. <laughs> you know, you, you eat, oh, so eat and you, you know, you behave, you exercise, you neutralize uh-huh. your your um, blood sugar so that you don't have peaks and valleys. And then you generally remain that way. And same. I mean, what if our goal for all children was to get them to adulthood addiction free? That's a I mean, it's a radical, universal, right? Well, it's also a universal goal, right? <laughs> right. I think and so everybody what's the would harm? say that. Okay, so then treating every kid as the potential for this or for We are. Other, yeah. You know, we all are in some ways. I mean, you know, that's the thing about even the, the you know, opioid crisis is we are all predisposed for that addiction. Because everyone it's, can. Everyone. Everyone can. Because it's so bioidentical to our own endorphins. So we're just very vulnerable to that. Every single one of us. Some people probably more so than others for yeah. genetic and familial and, you know, just exposure to addiction in general and their maybe their families. But with social media and internet, I mean, we're all basically very vulnerable. So there's no reason not to treat everyone that way. And, yeah, we'll talk more about our own adult vulnerabilities in a little while and how that's important to address those when you're trying to impact change in your kids' behaviors. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll get into a little bit more of that. So, yeah, so I like that idea. So what does that look like in the schools or what does that look like as far as – because we protect a whole group of people against alcohol until they're 21, Mm -hmm. right, nicotine until they're 19. Mm -hmm. So that is that same approach. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And we don't have that, right? We don't have the guidelines from our oversight, um, you know, entities. Our social um, medias are. Yeah, right. Let's <laughs> well, appoint is. that person, right? Or, may, or maybe not. It depends who it is. <laughs> but, Trump will yeah. appoint you. <laughs> that would be interesting. <laughs> but, you know, um, there is no oversight. There are no guidelines. Parents have just been, is a free-for-all. Yeah, and so good luck. It, it's just been on parents' shoulders. And it's been a huge, huge burden. And you're feeling it at home. Mm-hmm. Most people are, all parents are, and it's a tremendous effort to, well, you to feel figure like you're out. You're swimming upstream mm-hmm. all the time, and and when your kid, like they used to say, everybody gets to stay out till two o'clock in the morning. You're like, no, they don't. And then they will now when that 13 year old says everybody has a cell phone, I used to say, no, they don't. But they most do. of them do mm-hmm. <laughs> a smartphone, not just a. And those kids that show up at my house or at a party and they don't have them. It's a really hard thing for them. Yeah, it is. And so it's a, it's a hard balance to strike, yeah. right? On the one hand, you don't want to pre-expose them to all these potential problems later in life or impact their development, you know, in the next few years. And on the other hand, you don't want them to be outcast and ostracized and not have a way to relate with their peers. So it's a hard line to straddle. Yeah, you mentioned... Um changing those sort of habits or creating like uh, that goes back to your digital health platform which we talked a little bit about last time but i mean what does digital health look like i mean is there a like is there like a little sheet that you can put on the wall and be like oh i'm doing it that way so that's healthy is it like the food like eat six servings of fresh vegetables i mean are there recommendations because the recommendations for your kid to have an hour of social media use Mm -hmm. 
is I don't I don't want to call that unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, heavy <laughs> use is considered an hour or more a day. How many of our kids are doing heavy use? Yeah. I don't know anybody. Yeah. Who's not. Not. Right. How many adults yeah. are meeting that criteria? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's a different answer for every individual and every household. Different people have different relationships with technology. Mm-hmm. Um you know, what's going on in my household is going to be different than what's going on in your household and the next family and the next family. And that's fine. That's okay. So I think, you know, one of the first steps to dealing with um, when I'm talking to a family that's usually what motivates people to come in is they don't, they're having issues with their teenager, typically, um, and they want to change that. It, it could sometimes it's a younger kid with gaming 10 11 yeah mm-hmm. um and the first step is to talk about the technology culture in the household that's really challenging alone right there because mm-hmm. a lot of times both parents aren't on the same page so right. there's a lot to work on well, have that right fight, there <laughs> and then the fight with the kids yeah where the yeah. parents are yelling at the kids to get off their devices and and i've heard this one at home like well you're on your device and i'm like but i'm working you're, right yeah Right. Like, well, why are you working at seven o'clock at night, Dad? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and so you know, that's making a plan for the home and for the culture of the home, especially once it's run amok, is is a very challenging thing to do without support. So that's where I come in, is I help people make a plan where if even if both parent, oh gosh, if both parents are on the same page, that's amazing. That's, that's a, half. That's the battle, like right? big part of the. Pr- the problem is on its way. First, you got to get, if you know, if it's a single parent household, I am in a single parent household. I get to make unilateral decisions. It's really easy. <laughs> but That you part's know, easy. Yeah. Enforcement might be tough. Right? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of other challenges, but uh, there's one or two things. That are... I, I am the decider. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But with, you know, with multiple adults, you got you to figure out a, a, you know, a plan that's going to work for both adults, you know? Making uh, compromises and that sort of thing comes hard with these things because there's strong beliefs involved. Maybe one of the parents really likes to game, you know, and that's a challenge to be um, trying to mediate a kid's gaming or social media use when one of the parents is a gamer and doesn't really want to not be. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's the first step. Um, and then once there is some agreement on what this would look like, ideally. Um, You know, I mean, although I say everybody's different, every family's different, I think the idea is that um, we're not using technology instead of other meeting other needs. And I think that's the next step, is I, I talk to each individual in the family about what needs they are meeting through their device use. Boredom, soothing anxiety, trying to fall asleep, trying not to fall asleep, uh, entertainment, working, dissociating. I mean, um, trying to improve your mood, learning. There's a lot, a lot of reasons we engage with talking our devices. Talking to my friends. Yeah. That's the big one I hear from the kids. Yeah. Oh, I'm talking to my friends. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Well, they're on those games. Right? Mm-hmm. Wired mm-hmm. in, headsets, they can be there for 10 hours. Right, right. And so I think 
breaking it down and identifying other ways some of these needs can get met. How else can you deal with boredom? How else can you deal with feeling anxious? How else can you promote or, you know, promote sleep? Um, and figuring out how all those other needs can be met dissociating from the device. Sort of making things more complicated, basically. Yeah, I was just <laughs> thinking it's so easy yeah. just to pick up your device and start. It's just a couple seconds and you're off Yeah. in that world. Yeah, and it's very alluring and it's designed that way with, you know, push notifications that that spin you in really easily. And so it's you have to be very, very conscious and very conscientious about what you want in order to make a plan that manifests that way. Because if it is sort of unregulated, it really goes amok because that's yeah. how it's designed. I mean, I look back and I think of like, I, I can get a little obsessive and like I started riding bikes a couple of years ago. And I, so then I didn't realize there were so many brands of bikes. Like as soon as you, you know, start searching it, then I'm getting fed bike stuff all the time from these bikes I've never heard of. I'm like, ooh, that's pretty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Then I click on that, and then another one pops up, and you're like, ooh, that's pretty. They know how to snag you. Suck you right <laughs> in. Yeah. Um, all right. So if parents are – you started on this process, and I want to, like, um, start down this road because we're at 35 minutes, so we got a little bit of time to really dig into, like, what families can do. And, I mean, it sounds like balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. Just, like, the answer for everything. Moderation. Mm -hmm. um, I liked how you said it, like, is it – an add-on? Is it something, I don't remember exactly how you said it, but is it an addition to the rest of your life that you're handling? Mm -hmm. um, and so the first discussion is what is the culture? Yeah. Um, well, before we do that, actually, I want to go back and look at boys and girls. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Is there a difference that we see in boys and girls in the age that this stuff starts and what they're vulnerable to? Yeah, generally, um, the social media issues are more observable in girls and a little bit older, um, 13, 13 to yeah. 15. Um, and yeah, 12, 12 sometimes. I mean, technically, it's supposed to be 13 to be, have a social media account, but that's not true, really. Um, no, they just put in their ages. They can put a year off easy. 16, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then... For actually younger, young, earlier in life and more towards boys, gaming is m more of an issue. And they're also using headsets and talking to friends. And so it is sort of the same as what happens at school where it's under the veil of, oh, no, it's social. And then at school, oh, no, it's educational. But there's really not much data that supports a strong, um, you know, with gaming, an asset towards connect actual really strong connections and bonds and even in school especially elementary school there's no correlation with technology use and better learning outcomes yeah none yeah yeah so we have you know we're like oh it's a it's an educational game but those are all hours on screen time those are all hours that you're locked into this thing and mm -hmm. navigating it um and as we said in the last last program that's why you know, all the software developers and the vice presidents of, you know, and presidents of Google and Microsoft, they don't let their kids have this stuff. Mm -mm. Um, that was something that Melinda Gates said early 
that oh no we don't use this stuff in our house 16 i think was when their kids got got their first phones and they went all went to waldorf schools so <laughs> i mean that kind of tells you a lot um tobacco industry probably didn't want their kids smoking right <laughs> all right um so let's get back to like the the different the boys and girls the boys that gaming thing and and i have seen that like you mentioned you know, both parents on the same page. I'm amazed at the number of 30-year-old men, particularly, that come into my office and we get into the division of labor and who's doing what and how they're feeling about the equality in the relationship. And she said it'd be great if he didn't play mm -hmm. World of Warcraft after, you know. And he's like, well, I'm playing with the kids. I'm doing my, like, that's parenting. Right, right. Um, and that's a really common, unfortunately, very common thing. And, you know, I mean, that's... That's a couple's counseling <laughs> situation. You it know? absolutely is, but it's one that has a huge impact downstream. Yeah, because um, of the role modeling right there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, we are coming up on our 40-minute break, so we're going we're gonna to go ahead and, and get to that right now. But what I want to do when we come back is really get into, like, what's the, wh where's the threshold for addiction and then what can be done if we see that and identify that, um, at least here and nationally. Um, but for those of you who might be tuning in late, Anchorage therapist and technology addiction specialist Jennifer Gessert is joining us for a second time to take a closer look at teens, technology, and mental health. A uh, quick program reminder, today's episode of Line One is pre-recorded, and we will not be accepting phone calls. After a short break, we'll continue with more of our conversation about teens, technology, and mental health. I'm Prentice Pemberton, and you're listening to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. You're listening to Line One from Alaska Public Media. You can find Line One on alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the greatest honors for a public media station is delivering on its promise to provide quality programming and news you can trust to the communities it serves. What you hear on air is the result of a dedicated team working together to bring you the best. It's a privilege to be a part of your day. Thank you for listening, for your feedback, and for your support. Today's episode of Line 1, Your Health Connection was pre-recorded. We will not be taking phone calls or emails during the show. Welcome back to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I am your host, Prentice Pemberton. If you're just tuning in, Anchorage therapist and technology addiction specialist Jennifer Gessert is joining us for a second time, and we are looking a little closer at teens, technology, and mental health. Uh, today's episode of Line One is being pre recorded, uh, so you will not be able to call us um, with your questions. Uh, so, all right. So for our last section, I really want to get into like, what are the the signs that this is beyond, you know, what parents can handle on their own, and when should they think about seeking out help? That's the first question I have, mm -hmm. and then we'll get into like, what if it's a deeper problem yeah. and things aren't working? I um, I recommend folks get there's um. A, the, the gentleman who taught the training that I took for my um, certification in this, his name is Nicholas Carderis. He has an in, couple inpatient, um, inpatient treatment centers for technology, gaming, and other digital addictions. And it's called the Omega Institute. And on their website, they have a, a quiz 
And so families who are struggling, you know, mild to moderate levels, um, I can suss that out pretty well but with a conversation. And I think people know when it's in the mild to moderate. But when it's severe, and severe is pretty severe. I mean, it's it's where school and work are not happening. Sleep is not happening. Extreme isolation. Extreme, you know, like incapacity to disconnect. Um, you, you, there's usually health issues correlated right. with all that. Carpal tunnel, hemorrhoids, like Lots of other issues, immune deficiency, massive weight gain, yeah. poor diet. Yeah. yeah. These are, this is pretty evident that it's severe. But regardless, if someone's wondering how severe, I, I think that's a nice questionnaire to, to refer people to to sort of get an idea. Um, yeah. And so, you know, and I, like I said before, how do you know it's a problem when well, you feel like it's a problem, for, you know, and you're noticing that there's imbalance, that there's um, that there's those issues in the multiple areas of life and it's causing discord most of the time. Yeah, I mean, I I, I get the 22 year olds, right, that especially after COVID, during COVID, it was like people just mm-hmm. the people that were in that world already had just free reign to, yeah. you know, be like getting a keg at your house that's constantly filled. Yep. <laughs> yep. Just, yeah. And all like, the excuses in the world, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I just got to stay here and drink. Yeah. I just have to stay here and play my video games. Plus, and it was a really stressful situation. And so it's the only way they could talk to their friends. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, we, it it was free reign at our house. It was you know they were doing the school thing, and then then they had to connect and we had a few like bubble families or yep. one bubble family that we tried to get together with their kids but after like 9 months of the same kids they're like <laughs> i so need a new friend during the pandemic our screen time tripled tripled and our depression rates doubled uh-huh and, and there was a lot of depressing things going on. It sure. wasn't just the screen time. So. Right, that's when you get down into it. Um, yeah, maybe that was the way people were dealing with the depression. I think there's a chicken and the, an egg. The causing yeah. of the depression. But, yeah. All right, so you get to the point, like, I've also had 10, 11-year-olds that get violent mm-hmm. when their parents mm-hmm. try to take um, their devices. Definitely. And it explodes mm-hmm. into this thing. And then the 16-year-olds that just, their parents say, let me have your phone. They say no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that dysregulation is a big component to all this. And it's a couple things. One, it's just like taking a drug away from an addict. They're not going to like it either, right? And yeah. they're going to have all kinds of awful behavior around it. And then it's another is the fact that they've been using that device to regulate and now they don't have it. Yeah, so everything's firing off. And and the way they normally <laughs> deal with it is dissociating through their device. And now they don't have it. They never develop the other skills that you would for feeling upset about something. Yeah. And that's the emotional coaching and the teaching kids how to self-soothe that right. you mentioned earlier. They do not do that. So then you as the parent come in and say, that's it. Yeah. I'm taking it. Right. <laughs> And it doesn't go very well. Right. (laughs) So that's where I start talking to either individuals or families about a digital detox. Mm. And that is a process by which, and you know, in this era, kids, little kids can live without technology. Believe it or not. (laughs) They do quite well. They get very creative. Very well. It's really good for them. So little kids can go on a pure technology detox. And that is wonderful. When they get into older grades, they need their computers for school. And adults 
uh, to some degree um, without going into an inpatient setting or a wilderness experience. Right. Um, some kind of sort of controlled environment probably need to continue using devices. So what we do is determine what is considered a digital vegetable and what is digital junk food. Okay. And so we're going on like a health fast, you know, <laughs> so it's going to be all veggies. No sugar. Yeah. <laughs> and so we open up everybody's devices and see what people are using, what apps are being used, what websites are being used, what games are being used, and determine whether which category it fits into. And everything that's in the junk food goes away. Hmm. And everything that's left, we decide from there what can be done on a desktop or a laptop where you're sitting, sitting. down and deciding <laughs> versus just having it in your pocket all day long. Yeah, or the the iPad in the mm -hmm. room and I'm doing homework. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So we just start to shave away. Also, we we see what tools are being used, newspaper, clock, calendar, you know, calculator. Some of these things that with are other ways. items. You know, we're going back to 1985. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> back in my day. Yeah. So we finally make the phone more or less a phone. Maybe it checks email, but it does not. Do, it's not going to do what it used to do. A lot of those capacities are disabled. The banking site can be reached on the desktop. Yeah. You know, some things that need to happen for work can be on the desktop. Those kinds of things for teens and adults, schoolwork, desktop. And then anytime a special s situation comes up, whether it's, you know, I have a research project. Okay, well, let's have a conversation about it. Does it fit the criteria for vegetable? Okay, yeah, that's okay then. And so let's also watch the time. Let's ask that question again in 30 minutes. In 30 minutes, set the timer. Okay, am I really still on task or have I gone down a rabbit hole? So this whole process is at first, especially for little kids, very, very dysregulating and uncomfortable. And uncomfortable, therefore, the parents. <laughs> yeah, it takes a lot of effort on the parents' part to make this happen. And the important thing, this is a really important thing, is you don't just take it away. You have to add. You have to add other stuff. Mm, right. Fun stuff, outside stuff, friends stuff, things you're doing as a family, where it's not just a deficit experience. You don't it's, leave a void. It's instead... And that takes so much energy. And I know how strapped families are for time and energy and, you know, money oh, to financing. go to Alaska to go skiing. Right. <laughs> exactly. So it's expensive. so much. Yeah. And this is one of the big cultural reasons why technology is so alluring, because we can get our escape from stress and the pace of life and the demands of life so easily. And going and working out and going and having a book club and doing all those things takes so much more time and so much more energy. And we're all pretty much running pretty close to the top of our threshold of what we can do, especially as parents, where economically and culturally, it's not normal to run 
75% or 50% right. of our threshold so that we come home, we have energy to go go for a walk, go for a hike, play a board game. We're pretty exhausted and want to check out. And this is a whole cultural issue. This is an economic issue. This is where you get into, you know, wage equality and, you know, education yeah, equality. socioeconomic and, status. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there's a lot of lower income families that have one parent, right? Or they're two parents that are working full time or two mm -hmm. jobs, like, and they're really struggling. And what's the best way to make sure that your kid is safe and yeah. at home? None of them. Not... Walking around Make in the them streets, sit down in the park still. with the drug dealer, right? Like <laughs> they're right there and they're yeah. safe when you get home. Yeah. Um, which is, you can't really tell people don't do that. Right. <laughs> right. And it's it's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard, and it's not supported culturally, really. You know, we don't. It's expensive to have a membership to a gym. Yeah. There's not like the state-sponsored, you know, library, gym, you know, kind of thing that yeah, yeah. we can easily, it's like everybody can go, which would be wonderful, ideally. And so um, we need social support for this, you know, as far as our culture and opportunity, you know, I mean, the, yeah. the Surgeon General's warning previous to this was loneliness, yeah, I read did a show on that one too. <laughs> and, an and that one, epidemic. Um, you know, it is an epidemic. And I mean, I think it's one in five millennials says they have no friends, zero friends. Like you real know? friends. And they have a thousand of them on Facebook or right. Instagram. Right. Yeah. And 68% of them say they feel lost. Well, and that goes back to that sense of belonging. Yeah. Right. And I don't think you get that from these devices. I mean, mm -hmm. there is some connection, but. The research says it does not replace, um, like, real human-to-human yeah. -human contact, face contact. So it's Even a, your dog won't respond to you on the video. No, they're like, that's not real. you come in and they're doing backflips. <laughs> but they see on the video, you're like, hi, Tara. Mm -mm. Not, not interested. Doesn't register. Yeah. Right. Right. Smart. They're smart, aren't they? Right. That's not a real person. Yeah. So I digress a bit, but I, I want to acknowledge how sort of Pollyanna it sounds to be like, sign everybody up for Tai Chi and just <laughs> stop using your devices. And I know that that is really hard to do. That is asking a lot. It is, but also like the parents have to go through a detox. Like mm -hmm. they have to pull away. I mean, for me, it's hard to not pick it up every you know, it's just so ingrained and you feel your pockets for it, right? Mm -hmm. So that digital detox, I think what people might find is, yeah, they're depressed, they have low energy, they're not eating. Well, maybe that's because they're not walking, because they're not getting out. I mm -hmm. mean, and the time that you would then create with digital detox, I mean, do you, and I, I assume it's important to bring the kids into this conversation early. It's not just the parents saying, here's what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And just in explaining why it's even being perceived as an issue, you know, like even explaining. I, I mean, I've had these conversations with my kids since they were teeny. Yeah. And and, and I love explaining things in, in like six year old terms. <laughs> You're like, oh, this this makes your brain sad. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, oh, it's so refreshingly simple. <laughs> I have to go even deep in the even weeds, if yeah. you aren't really sad, it makes you feel sad. So we're not going to do it. 
Yeah. You know, <laughs> and so, um, you know, and when they have more questions, I, I explain those. And I have a 13 year old now who um, does have a cell phone. It doesn't have it doesn't do much. Yeah. But <laughs> but, you know, he has a basic way to communicate with people um, and he understands why it's so pared down. And he is actually very grateful Interestingly, he he can see what's happening around him, and he doesn't really want to be a part of it. So I'm glad for that. Yeah, it could easily be otherwise. That's because it's never been activated, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You didn't let that that out of the bottle. All right, so a kid gets extreme, has a hard time. There's no residential anything here. No, Um, there's not. And if it's not a diagnosis, it's not going to be paid for. Right, right. So, So I think that's another aspect of the Surgeon General's warning is the sort of legitimizing this issue. Um, I'm not sure when the next time the DSM is being reviewed, but it is, it, it, it gaming is on the, the kind of the watch list. Um, and I don't be really surprised not to see this in the next edition. Um, so I think, I think, you know, the Surgeon General is sort of trying to lay the stepping stones to legitimizing this as um, something that needs to be recognized as, um, you know, ins- you know, something that insurance will cover eventually. What are, what are they doing in other countries? Oh, yeah, that's interesting. So the place that has the most digital addiction is South Korea, hmm. where so much of our technology comes from. Right. They, they have a culture so based in the tech industry. They've really promoted tech use there. I mean, they just celebrate it. Brave new world. Yeah. Very, very celebrated there where it has become an extreme issue, an extreme issue over there. And there's more residential tech addiction options. I read an article on that. They're everywhere. Yeah. Than anywhere else. Um, and so that's, I mean, a little bit of a canary in the coal mine we should be paying attention to, uh-huh. um, where this has gone really, really far down a road that do we, can we just learn from them? Not Let's not. Avoid. Yeah. We could learn the, learn the easy way here. All right. And then in some countries, there's laws now. Is it France? Yeah. There's some European countries that have some limitations. Like 15, 16 for right. a smartphone. Yeah. Um, they've really kind of already started legislating. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see what we do, if anything. Um, but I do think that this, that's really, I am projecting when I say all this about why I think this happened. I haven't heard the Surgeon General specifically say this, but I do think it is an official recognition of an issue that we have been noticing anecdotally for a decade. Yeah, we've been dealing with it in our offices, the fights, the arguments, the yeah. the loss of functioning. And I, I think what people will find if they do it, um, they will see significant changes quickly. I I um I can I'm thinking about it. I have had one person once they detox and it's a four week detox. Almost never go back. Yeah. One person did go back to social media and then went off it again. Because they were like, wow. Yeah. yeah. This is... Once you are free. Do you have a program? Like, is there a detox program that you can, like, 
fill out or like, no. or you just kind of write your own? Yeah, it's because it's family. so individual, you know. And so it's it's you know for certain people, there's going to just be different needs. But it's a process that I go through with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a family dialogue. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, it's so important to get kids buy-in and give them some choice. Um, is there any time built in for social media during the detox? Because I, I often talk to parents about planning time on your phones rather than planning time away. Like, yeah. what is our phone time? Is it six to nine or six to eight? Sure. Is it a couple hours after everything else is done? Um, that doesn't really count as the detox, though, of getting you... Right. Getting your brain free of it. And so some families aren't ready for a detox. Some that say that's just too severe. That's too much. It's not really what we want to do. You start where they are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so then some they're people, like, well, that didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. okay, well, let's try the detox now. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not, you know, sure, sure, sure. Let's do that. You know, anything we can do to mitigate if if it means... You know, um, there are device. There's something called a circle device that you can hook up yeah. to your home internet that will block certain things or limit certain capacities. I on, have the on circle. Different devices. It's like sitting on the top of a dresser, <laughs> not doing anything, because I tried it and I was like, ah. <laughs> oh, and I want to say another aspect of this is being a highly involved parent takes. Like an IT degree. You better learn yeah, what they're yeah. doing. And it is not my aptitude set at all. And I have, I mean, exhausted myself. You can to have your kids show you what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They love to show their parents who are <laughs> dinosaurs, right, how this stuff works. And they'll say, you can go on here. And I was like, you know, at one point you're like, how did you break the, you know, security? Oh, well, I just did this and I watched this YouTube video and this kid showed me how to do it. I was like, wow. If you ask. So I went to, I was having trouble with my kids' parental control app. I went to the Verizon store and this guy talked me through it. And I was like, how did you know that? And he's like, oh, this is how I got through my parental control apps mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. And I was like, well, look at you now. It's coming handy. <laughs> Thank you. Ask the experts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you will learn a lot about what they're doing. Oh, yes. 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 And, and so it is. It's tremendously inaccessible to be an involved parent when it comes to monitoring what, what activities your kids are engaged in. All right. Uh, final thoughts for parents? I just want to validate how difficult this, this um, issue is and that a lot of families are dealing with it. If it's something that you want to pursue and try to really figure out for your family, please reach out. Uh, there's resources out there and you're not the only one. All right. Well, thank you, Jennifer, for joining us again. Um, I think it's an important conversation, and I would encourage listeners to listen to our program for from August 16th. Uh, thanks for coming back. Thank you. Thanks to Line One producer Madeline Rose. For all of us at Line One, we appreciate you for taking the time to join us. Till next time, I'm Prentice Pemberton. Have a great day, Alaska. Line One is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the host and participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Learn more about Line One and listen online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media.